Washington State's adult use market hits the 10-year anniversary, but practice doesn't make perfect, failure does. And there's a lot, uh, it's a robust state, but there's a lot to learn from. So we're gonna dive into you know half a dozen things that Washington State is trying to do now to rectify the last decade, all of that coming up. It's only entertainment. Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. A little bit of a different format today. I'm going to go through about a half a, def- half a dozen different uh, articles that I've reported on on Washington State. I don't think you guys have, have heard it here yet. So um, a little bit different. Washington, though, uh, before we get started, is, is interesting because during the pandemic, it was one of the only stable markets. And I've talked a lot of trash about Washington because uh, it hasn't been able to move not being vertically integrated, meaning retail stores can't own producers and processors, you know, brands and, and growers, um, and, and unlike a lot of other states. And that's been, that's hindered our, uh, the state's ability to progress and move forward and plan for the future. Anytime there's political instability, people don't invest. Not only that, out-of-state investors are limited to 10%. On top of that, the uh, state's regulators, being the Washington State Liquor and Cannabis Board, don't really like the state. They were thrown into it because they became obsolete. Uh, liquor essentially became privatized, uh, became public. Um, and so the state didn't have sole control over the stores any longer. You can now, much like California, buy liquor in a grocery store now. And so they needed something to do. Cannabis was that thing. So the liquor um, control board became the liquor cannabis board, and they didn't like that. Been a lot of pushback. And so we're going to dive into some of those issues, starting with some of the taxes that they have to change. So the initiative 502 is what made Washington State become legal. And everyone's like, just get it legalized and we'll change it. Well, 10 years later, nothing's moved. Much like cafes, half a decade ago, I started the Seattle Super Chronic Cafe and was like, okay, this felony is a mistake. They're going to you know, change that quickly. It's been five, six years. So we're going to talk about that as well. Starting with Washington's New Year legislation and regulatory priorities, including removing the excise tax for medical patients. So this will not only help patients acquire their medicines at a more reasonable cost, but it's going to be incentivizing retailers to carry Department of Health compliance products and incentivize producers and processors and growers and manufacturers of Department of Health compliant or medical products. Currently, patients in Washington State are utilizing cannabis to help with their conditions. They have to pay a 37% excise or sin tax on all of their medicines. So not only is this fundamentally wrong, but it creates several additional consequences, such as forcing patients to use cheaper products since they can't afford higher quality and more costly items or worse, it forces them to seek medicine on the illicit market. While Washington's had one of the most mature cannabis industries, the state's liquor and cannabis board employs a gotcha culture. Licensed businesses in Washington state, particularly processing and retail operations express concerns that burdensome taxes and state regulations hinder their ability to scale up due to nationwide high excise tax of 37%. Washington state marks the 10 year milestone, yet reforms are needed to address issues such as high taxes and a gotcha regulatory climate, as well as a shortfall in minority participation. The regulatory hostility can be seen in the, in the state's regulations they're cracking down on minor matters and penalizing cannabis operators more than their liquor and tobacco industry counterparts. A study was conducted last year and calculated that the economic impact of the adult use cannabis totaled $2.7 billion in revenue and over 18,000 jobs. 
and yet cannabis uh, companies are still facing a funding squeeze. But more needs to be done to make sure that the state's industry is more competitive if and when the federal government legalizes cannabis. And despite that growth, the program's challenges are impacting industries such as Washington State struggling to adopt a model that embraces greater minority participation. Other states that have regulated cannabis markets already allow home growing, but Washington does not. However, Washington's 2022 legislative and regulatory priorities include a home grow bill. Washington's residents should be able to grow a few plants in the state that allows adults to brew up to 200 gallons of beer or wine at home each year, but growing even one cannabis plant is a felony unless authorized for medical purposes. The House Bill 1019 would have authorized adults age 21 and over to maintain up to six plants at home. However, according to the Cannabis Observer, HB 1019 wasn't considered a high enough priority to be considered in a year where there was less legislation as a result of the pandemic. So the bill was tabled last session, but no law pertaining to cannabis should be a felony, period. So if it's not passed this session, they'll have to be reintroduced in the next biennium. Did you know cannabis cafes are a Class C felony in Washington State? The law prevents the ability to maintain and operate a marijuana lounge in Washington, which may be the strictest law in the country as it pertains to a cannabis consumption lounge, if not the strictest law in the world. So what happened? In June of 2015, Washington created an emergency law preventing businesses from operating cannabis cafes. Fast forward more than half a decade and that law is still there, while most members of the House and Senate in the state capitol have no clue to its existence. As a chairman of the Cannabis Lounge Committee at the Cannabis Alliance, a Washington State nonprofit organization, I drafted a bill back in November 2019, postponed by COVID, and we'll be resubmitting it in January 2022 to try and overturn that felony. Who cares? Washington State's not vertically integrated, meaning that retailers don't own the production or grow, nor the brands or manufacturers, making the state a forgotten investment opportunity to other MSOs and large cannabis brands. Cannabis cafes could be the extra license and or opportunity that local businesses need to collaborate or pivot to stay relevant in a time when cannabis brands are becoming paramount. D8 and synthesized cannabinoids appear to be among the top concerns for Washington State's Liquor and Cannabis Board, according to the Cannabis Observer. The explosion in hemp growth following passage of the Farm Bill has led to the sale of Delta 8 products in some states that hadn't permitted cannabis sales. In an effort by state regulators to rein in the state of intoxicating cannabis that can be produced with materials outside their authority, the Washington State Liquor and Cannabis Board has requested a change in the law to prohibit the sale of Delta 8. Some existing producers in the state argue that the ban is necessary to avoid an existential crisis for their business, as hemp producers can provide raw materials to turn into intoxicants for pennies on the dollar compared to legal cannabis producers that must adhere to a costly set of regulations from the state. Major cannabis industry trade organizations like the Cannabis Alliance have offered their own plan in rebuttal to the Liquor and Cannabis Board, saying that the state will stifle future growth in an industry that produces tens of millions of dollars in excise tax revenue each month. The Washington State Liquor and Cannabis Board approved filing for proposed cannabis testing rule changes affecting growers who use pesticides and heavy metals. I had a friend who had two collapsed lungs due to heavy metals from concentrates purchased on the legacy market. And that's because pesticide screening and heavy metal testing is only upon request as necessary, but not required. So the proposed testing is uh, for 50 pounds, but ultimately will cost businesses more because of that additional testing. It could result in more consolidation as businesses weigh the additional cost burden. On the flip side, consumers and patients alike may have more peace of mind, shifting consumer demand to brands that, exer that exercise pesticide and heavy metal free methods and speeding up that capitulation. 
Washington State's probably one of the most competitive markets out there because the retail stores don't care about uh, reserving brands. You go to Colorado and they have just their own brands that they grow or make. Washington State will have 2,000 SKUs. So it's incredibly overwhelming if you've never been in there and you don't really know how to select one, uh, making it one of the most competitive markets. You can drive into any major city and have you know, 30 stores within a five or 10 minute drive. It's, uh, it, it's incredibly competitive on all levels. So there is a massive amount of uh, consolidation that needs to happen in the market. It's going to happen. Um, because of the lack of outside investment capital, um, it's really stifled a lot of growth. Five years ago, I said that, um, you know, Oregon was, a, was, was scrappy. Business owners, you know, were kind of like, you know, East Coast New Yorkers with, without, you know, the, um, without a lot of professionalism, I guess. Um, I was going to say college degree, but that doesn't really mean anything. Uh, Oregon's a bunch of scrappy entrepreneurs, and they didn't ever care about the Canna family. It was about what they were going to do, and they were cutthroat about it. A lot of successful businesses failed because of infighting, because of that same kind of culture. And so I thought that, um, you know, Washington would would become a better state. Uh, there's, you know, a lot of people that left their corporate jobs. Um, and I naively translated that into becoming a successful entrepreneur. Not necessarily happening. Um one example is a very successful a farm here in Washington, and unfortunately, he lost everything. So a uh, military veteran entrepreneur started from the ground up, built a brand, very successful, uh, and then um, for whatever reason, decided to invite this, entre this uh, consultant or whatever into the business. Um, and due to the contract that wasn't you know, necessarily read through, um, he lost everything. So we're going to talk about uh, business failures on, a, on an upcoming podcast and kind of dive into a little bit more about that uh, and what's happening in Washington State as more businesses capitulate, fail, uh, and maybe try to move out of the state and, and, um, and to just, just to succeed and then survive. So with that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out. Don't forget to smash that like button on your way out check out these other videos that we've got. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.